Hey there, this is Pastor John Ware, lead pastor of Lifehouse Newport News, a church that exists to help all people experience life change through Christ. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast. We hope it inspires you and gives you perspective to see how God is moving in your life. Now let's get to today's episode. So we're on part four of Journey today. I want to talk to you today about how to ruin your journey. Really encouraging, huh? Really encouraging. How to ruin your journey, right? The bottom line is this. You are on a journey. Your life is a journey. It's got ups and downs, and I mean peaks, valleys, right? I mean, here's the thing. Life is a journey, and I want to give you four things today to ruin your journey. Now, it might not sound real encouraging, but I, I think it's going to really helpful. I think it's going to really help you, right? There are some sermons that I preach that I'm like, uh, this is 50-50. And I'm kind of like, this could help people. And, it, I'm, you, know, I'm, you know, here's the thing. Preaching's hard, right? And, I mean, it's, you, know, you know, getting up there week after week, finding stuff applicable to you and, and things like that. But, honestly, I today, today I believe that the, the, here's the thing. If you open up your heart and listen today, that God wants to speak to you today and impact your, your life. Okay, so I'm going to give you four things on how to ruin your journey. And we're going to dive right in. Uh, and, and really, I'm going to start with the most important point first. Okay? The point is this. Um, you don't have a clear picture of where you're heading or why you're heading there. So on your journey, you are directionless and purposeless. Purposelessness, I think I said in first service, which is totally wrong. <laughs> you are directionless and purpose. It's like, honestly, if someone came up to you and said, what is your goal? Where are you actually heading on your journey? But not just where you're going, why are you heading there? I mean, have you ever examined, like really, with what you're doing in your life, where are you, what is your end goal? But not just what is your end goal, why are you going for that goal? Because honestly, so many of us live purposeless and directionless lives and we're just like honestly just just living not knowing why or where we're going but here's the thing the great thing about following Christ is he gives us purpose and he gives us direction Romans 8 28 through 29 tells us this and and this is a scripture that I use a whole lot why because I think it's so impactful for us it says this and we know that in all things everyone say all God works for the good of those who love him. So what this is telling us is not that all things are good, but God is so good, God can take whatever happens in your life and take it and make it work for your good if you let him. That's a good God. But it says, those who have been called according to his purpose. It says, for, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. This is, this is basically saying, God's whole goal for you is to be conformed to the image of Jesus, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So here's the thing. Let me give you two big ideas here. God will take everything in your life, good and bad, everything, every good choice you made, bad choice you made. Like God will take all and make it work for your good if you let him. And the purpose of all of that is, is him taking everything and working it for your good is so he can conform you and shape you into the image of Jesus. God's goal for you isn't to get you in a certain place. It's to help you to become a certain kind of person. And that person is Jesus. The goal for your life is for you to be shaped into the form of Jesus. 
That is God's goal. That is God's goal. Jesus came as the perfect example, the full representation of who God was. And God said, I want everyone that follows him to be like him. If you miss that in your life, you will misinterpret everything that happens to you. Why? Because here's the thing. When something good happens, you'll be like, God loves me. When something bad happens, like, God hates me. And what I see is so many Christians are up and down, up and down, up and down because they're misinterpreting everything that's happening in their life. They're seeing it through the wrong filter. They're seeing it through the wrong lens, right? Instagram has made filters popular. And some of y'all put some good filters on y'all's photos because you know y'all look better. Get that little black and white in. Get that little exaggerated color. Make sure that lighting looks good. You want to view it through a certain kind of filter. You will interpret every experience in your life through a certain kind of filter. And if you don't, if you don't interpret it through the lens of it is shaping you and molding you to be like Jesus, you miss the point. Here's the thing. Are you a struggling stay-at-home mom? The point is, how is it going to make you to be like Jesus? Do you have a crazy job with a boss you want to cuss out? The point is, how is it, how is it making you to be like Someone really is struggling with that today. So the authors will be open after service. You can pray about that boss. Do you have sickness in your body, or is there somebody close to you that has sickness in, in their body? The point is, you need to interpret it. How is it making you be like Jesus? You have a bunch of kids that are driving you crazy. How is it going to make you be like Jesus? You've been trying to have kids, but you can't, and you're really ticked at God. How is it trying to make you like Jesus? You're single and want to be married, but the right guy or girl hasn't revealed themselves yet. How is it going to make you be like Jesus? You're married and wish you were single. Um, how is this going to make you be like Jesus? You're struggling to pay your bills right now. How is it going to make you be like Jesus? I'm, here's the thing. I'm not trying to trivialize anything, but what I am saying is I'm asking you, if the goal, the where, and the why is Jesus, then you have to interpret every situation that you are currently in through this question. How is it going to make me more like Jesus? And if you miss that, you will misinterpret. There, there is this, this metaphor in scripture where it says that God is God is the potter and we're the clay. Now, this is all great, right? Isaiah 64, 8 says this. It says, but yet you, Lord, are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. This is all great and good, but no one lives in like, I mean, you might be one of the few people here, but I don't think anyone's making clay pots. I don't think anyone's making clay jars. Like, I don't think anyone works with clay here, right? So... I think the thing is, is that we can sometimes lose what this actually means. Like that we're the clay and, and God is the potter and he's the one that is shaping us and molding us. And so I, I thought, you know what? YouTube could tell us. <laughs> YouTube could, because YouTube has all the answers. Just go on YouTube and, and, and we can show you. So here's the thing, right? I'm gonna watch this video with you and, and I wanna show you exactly what this scripture means. That's us. Those hands are God. That spinny wheel is life. It spins us. 
Here's the thing, this guy here, his finished product, you'll see it in a second. Why is that light on? There we go. Look at that, it's so intricate in detail. And when he's done with it, he presents the finished product. Here's the a, here's a thing, right? We're the clay. God's the potter. Life is that spinny, spinny, spinny wheel. And the finished product that God is going for is Jesus. He wants to shape you and mold you no matter what situation. Here's the thing. This levels the playing field. Because some of y'all think because of a certain circumstance in your life right now that God thinks less of you or you aren't more blessed than someone else. This levels the playing field. So it doesn't matter if you're a guy, girl, rich, poor, single, single, married. Like it doesn't matter what circumstance or situation of life, what life hand, what hand life has dealt you. The point and purpose of every life, no matter what, as a Christ follower is to be conformed and shaped to the image of Jesus. And God will use as the potter whatever he can possibly use to shape and form you into the image of Jesus. And I need y'all to get that because some of y'all's faith is so dependent on your circumstances when honestly those circumstances would see some of y'all you don't need a better circumstance you need a different perspective God change it God change it and God's like I'm trying to change you find a different perspective how is God taking your circumstances and like Romans 8 28 said working all things out for your good for the purpose of conforming you into the image of Jesus. This levels the playing field. So here's the thing. We cannot now say, well, they have, they have, they have, they have, they have. How are you being conformed to the image of Jesus? Y'all, if you get that perspective shift, you'll start interpreting everything you walk through and go through. Because that, that is why some of the people that are formed and shaped like Jesus the most are those who have been through the hardest times. That's why their faith is the strongest. Is because they've been through stuff that has stripped them of all of their self-dependency. They've been through stuff that has stripped their, their autonomy and realized they're not in charge. They're not in, in control. Some of the most miserable people are some of the people you think are the most blessed. Every need met. Living large. But they're empty. Don't despise where you're at and what God's doing in you right now. Because I believe the potter's hands are on you. Life is spinning you like crazy. But his whole goal, the finished product, is Jesus. Amen? Amen. If you want to ruin your journey, don't realize the why or the where. The why of what you're going through, where you're going through, the ultimate goal is to be like Jesus. Secondly, the second way to ruin your journey is to make it all about you. Make your journey all about you. We live in a generation of self, man. Self-everything. Self-love. Self-care. Believe in yourself. Love yourself. 
just be yourself, <laughs> self-fulfillment, self-esteem, like self, self, self. We, we're, we're the generation that created the selfie. <laughs> like we love ourselves so much, we created a selfie, right? We are, we, we are the self-generation. And some of y'all laughing are the same ones that post a lot of selfies. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. I believe there is a, a deep correlation between our generation's focus on self and the rise of depression. Because we're trying to find something in ourselves that only God can put in there. I believe we have a, gener- a generation of people that are striving to find purpose, sig- purpose and significance from, from people and places that were never meant to fill that void in their heart. And as, and as a result, people are using people and things that are, that, here's the thing, are using finite people and things to fill an infinite void in their heart that God himself is only able to fill. God created you. We can see Genesis, Genesis 1, when God created the world, he created Adam, Eve, in perfect relationship with themselves, a perfect relationship with God. And, they, and Scripture says that they were naked and unashamed, meaning they weren't hiding nothing, they were, it was, all, it was all open. It was fulfillment in each other. It was fulfillment in God. It, it, it was pure and clean. And then what do we see? Sin comes on, on, on the scene. And sin has been doing ever since then what it was always meant to do, which is to separate people from each other and separate people from God. And what sin has now done is it has created a void in people's lives where they now consume people and things to fill this void in their life that those people and things were never created to actually fill. And that, honestly, I believe is the backbone of addiction. Where people are craving and hungering for something to fill the void in their life. And they just think, if I just get more money, if I just get more drugs, if I just get more sex, if I just get more fulfillment, if I just get more status and power, then I'll be happy. But what people find is the more you get, the more you need. And they try to fill it and fill it and fill it and fill it. And they finally see this finite things that they're trying to fill when their infinite souls doesn't work. I love what this guy says, Herman Bavink. He says this, the more abundantly the benefits of civilization come streaming our way, the emptier our lives become. With all its wealth and power, it only shows that the human heart in which God has put eternity is so huge that all the world is too small to satisfy it. So we've got this desire in us for significance and purpose. And I don't think that's, that's wrong, right? Here's the thing, right? We're going to check out Luke chapter, uh, Luke chapter 9. So it says, an argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. So let's just set the scene here. You got Jesus, son of God, with his knucklehead disciples, around him, and an argument breaks out about who's the greatest. This would be like 
Michael Jordan sitting with like Sam Bowie. Some of you are like, who's that? <laughs> Sam Bowie or give me some other garbage trash players. Huh? Oh, no, I didn't even... Wait, anyway, fill in the blank, right? Because here's the bottom line. The Jordan, Jordan's the greatest player. This whole thing about LeBron and Kobe, okay, just, just heads up, all right? Jordan's the best, right? But here's the thing, like, like they're arguing around Jesus who is the greatest. And if, you know, I would think Jesus, that if he heard that, he would just, like, get a rock and start, like, hitting people. Like, what are y'all doing? Like, for all y'all arguing about who's... The greatest, but here's the thing, what you see here, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. Do you know what Jesus doesn't do? Jesus doesn't bash their, their, their desire to be great. He redefines what their definition of greatness is. He says, look, I understand you have this desire to be great. And I know you've been over at John, you've been over here telling Peter about all these miracles you did and all these people you evangelized to and you think you're the best. But the bottom line, line is great is not a position. It's not a position of power. Great in God's eyes is a posture of, of the heart. And Jesus says, greatness isn't about your position. Greatness is about the posture of your heart being one of being a servant. He said, least among you. In other places, Matthew chapter, excuse me, Mark chapter 10, Jesus said this, for I did not come to be served, I came to serve and give my life for many. Jesus said, the greatest among you will be your servant. Here's the thing. You have this, this desire to be great. You have this desire for significance and purpose. And some of you are trying to use people and things to fill an eternal void that only God himself is able to fill. The thing is this. You cannot serve some, somebody or something while simultaneously using them to fill a void in your life that only God was meant to fill. You can't serve and use at the same time. You can't serve and use at the same time. Let me give you examples. Maybe. If I can find them. I think I put my notes back in the right order. Maybe. Ah, nope, that's not it. Oh, here we go. Think about your job. If you are using a job as a way to find significance and purpose that should come from Jesus, you'll treat people at your job as objects to be used in stepping, tones, in stepping stones to get the significance and purpose you want instead of seeing them as people to be served like Jesus served you. In your marriage, if you are using your partner to find significance and purpose that should come from Jesus, you'll see your spouse as an object to be used to fill a void that only God is supposed to fill instead of seeing them as somebody to be served like Jesus served you. I hope you guys see, see this. The purpose of Jesus coming was to fill that void in your heart, in your life, that isn't bad to be great for significance and purpose. Why? As Jesus fills you, you are then free to love and serve other people without an agenda. You're not serving them saying, I'm serving you to get something back from you. 
or I need you to validate me. No, it's I've got my validation from the king of the universe, from the king of kings, the lord of lords. I don't need your validation, and because I don't need your validation, I can now serve you and love you without an agenda. How would marriages change if this was it? How many marriages fail because you put this burden on your spouse to be your everything? When that spouse can't be your everything. They're finite. They're selfish just like you. The thing, Jesus fills your void so you can serve others. Jesus serves you so you can serve others. Here's the thing. When you make the journey about you, and so many people do this, right? Their whole life journey is just about using and abusing people and things to get where they want to go. That is not the way of Jesus. We see Jesus was king of kings and lord of lords. If anyone that should have been served, it should have been him. But Jesus took his position, took his power, laid it down, and said, I'm going to use my position of power to serve instead of use. Check, check this out. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8. It says, in your relationship, this is Paul speaking to the church in Philippi. And he's encouraging these brand new Christians how they're how they're relationships should be. It says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Do you see Jesus used his position and power to serve instead of using it to use people for his own advantage? In your journey... When you realize the point of your journey isn't to get, it's to give. It's not to take, it's to serve. Then you will see so much more fulfillment and purpose. Why? You're not using other people for it. You've got God meeting it, and now you're free to serve and love others without an agenda. The third way to ruin your journey is to not to obey the directional and warning signs. Don't obey the directional and warning signs. Some of you are going in a direction right now that is heading towards your destruction. And I say that with all love. But one of the greatest crises that I see in the church right now, even in myself, just, just, just the, this isn't talking at you, this is talking with you, is one of the greatest crises that I see is that we have an, we have an obedience problem. We've got information galore, don't, don't we? Information galore about all sorts of different things. And what I find, information doesn't change people. It just doesn't. Like how much more could there be said about smoking killing people? But people still smoke. And here's the thing, if you smoke here, we're not bashing you. You're not gonna go to hell. You might smell like it, no, I'm just kidding. Just, just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. For real. Please don't, please don't get offended. We know smoking's legit real, and hey, you know what? We're not, we're not bashing you. But the thing is, is though, information doesn't change us, and it's not changing the church. Because we can have information all day, but if we don't have obedience to the information we have, it doesn't matter. And what I see is that we have an obedience problem. 
And that honestly, in the church, if we just obeyed one-fifteenth of what we knew, we could probably change, like really sincerely, honestly, change the world. And specifically, I believe we have an obedience problem with God's word, the Bible. Um, it's amazing how much of the Bible that we know that we simply just don't obey. And here's the thing, right? It's just as an example of we don't have an information problem. And I mean, just think of how many Bibles you have. I mean, I got like probably 12 at the house. I mean, just think of the kinds of Bibles, man. We, we got like hunting Bibles. Where literally you can get it in camo. So the deer don't see you reading it. Like I'm like, like just in case. You know, you've got sports Bibles where, you know, there's, there's, there's testimonies from basketball players on different pages. And, you know, there is teen Bibles and kids' Bibles, homeschool Bibles. If you homeschool your kids, there's a Bible specifically for you. Um, women's Bibles, man's Bibles, there's different trans, translations of the Bible. I actually saw, if you speak Cleon, uh, there is a Bible translated into Cleon. Anybody, is there Star Trek fans here? Any Star Trek fans here? Okay, we got one in the back. Okay, all right. Well, hey, you can learn to speak Cleon and then read the Bible in it. So the point is, is this, right? We have no shortage of information. We have a shortage of obedience. And what I see in people's lives, and not just people here, but people in general, is, is, is that we... And here's the thing, right? Many of you wouldn't say, say this, but I think we've got trust issues with this book. I think we've got trust issues with this book. Because honestly, I believe if some of you were completely honest and, you know, you, you, know, you weren't trying to be churchy, you weren't trying to say the right answer, you would say you've got trust issues with this book. And here's the thing, I get it. I get it, this book has been used to abuse people in the past. It has been misused, mishandled, misinterpreted to bring a lot of destruction on people. Like I can't get out of my head how some Christians back in the Crusades could use this book to justify them killing people. Like I, 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 think I just wanna like fall out in the Holy Spirit. Like I just don't get it. Or how the church at one point sold sins for monetary gain. They somehow concocted, hey, let's set up this plan where the church can get rich if the church can sell certain sins. So hey, we can sell the sin of going and get lit at the club and banging some, somebody and then come to church. The, the, all you gotta do is pay 20 bucks and your sins are covered. I don't get the fact of, I was at the Bible Museum up in Washington, D.C. a couple months ago and if you have not been there, you need to go. It's an incredible experience. But one of the, the, the exhibits that they had going on was this exhibit about a slave Bible. And stick with me here. This is absolutely atrocious, and it gets me mad even thinking about it, how the British, the British colonies, whenever they were building up the Caribbean, they wanted the, they wanted the African slaves to become Christians without letting them know the Bible spoke about slavery being wrong and that they should be liberated. 
So they actually created a Bible that taught salvation without letting the African slaves think that what, they were being, that what was being done to them was actually wrong. So they cut and pasted the Bible to make it say what they wanted it to while wanting to keep the African slaves in bondage and in slavery. And they used this book. It's disgusting. So if you've got trust issues with this book, I get it. Some of you think the Bible is just a bunch of just like telephone, right? It was like you had Paul writing it. He wrote it. Some other guy got a hold of it, right? Does everyone know the game of telephone? It starts off, you whisper in someone's ear, mom ate a Whopper at Burger King. And by the time it's whispered to like, seven other people. It's like mom got shot at, shot at McDonald's while eating hot cakes and drinking a Budweiser. Like, it's like, what in the world? How in the world, how in the world from one person to one person did it get that contorted and messed up? Right? It's like, what the heck? And some of you think the Bible is just this contorted game of telephone where now we've got this book that was written by, you know, 40-some different authors over a period of time. And, and, and so you just think it's just a bunch of regurgitated mess. Now, I know y'all wouldn't say that. But here's the thing, right? I believe that many of us have trust issues with this book. Some of you don't, but some of you do. And what I want to tell you is if you have trust issues with this book, don't let your trust issues keep you from God. Let it, let it drive you to him. This book can stand the test. There have been, this book has been, has been tried to be eradicated for hundreds and thousands of years, but this is God's word. It won't be eradicated. It's how God speaks. It's how God makes himself known. This is a hard book to understand. It really is. It takes time. It takes practice. It takes diving in. And so here's the thing. But what I'm challenging you to do, don't let your trust issues be be an excuse to live a certain, a certain lifestyle that you want to live. Because what I see people do is they question God's word, they question, but they don't seek, seek answers. They question it so they can validate a certain lifestyle or a certain life choice that they want to make. Here's the thing, if you're going to question, get the answer. If you're going to question, seek the answer. And go to someone that actually like might know something. That's what ticks me off, right? You've got people, they go to these like people that are that just destroy. I mean, this is a hard book to interpret, y'all. But just because it's hard to interpret doesn't mean it's not true. It's got, it's got different genres in it. History, biography, prophecy, bibliography. Epistles, like, here's, here's the thing, though, but what you see, when the church gets from this book what you see in history, the church loses its power. The church loses its influence. And what I am praying for, begging for, with our church, is that we would have a love for this book, is that we would understand it's going to be a sacrifice to understand and dig and see what God says to us in this book. And every week I try to make it understandable to you. I try to make it applicable to you because I understand it can be difficult. But here's the thing. It can't just be John on a Sunday feeding you this book 
Like it's, 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 you've got access. Like on your phone, you can get 100 different translations. You can get whatever you want on this. Like, like just find a way to get into God's word. Find a way to get into God's word. But here's the thing, right? The thing, I'm, you know, I'm not most concerned about those that question God's word. I'm concerned about those that undoubtedly believe this is God's word but don't obey it. And that's what I think the biggest problem is. It's for those that believe this is God's word but don't live like it's God's word or don't hunger for it like it's God's word. Here's the thing. I'm not trying to bash you down or beat you down. I'm trying to get something to you, not something from you. From you. But here's the thing. I think the bottom line is this. We want, many people in our culture, we want transcendence with autonomy. Meaning, we want to feel like there is somebody or something beyond us, but at the same time have full control of our daily lives. And transcendence with autonomy is not following Christ. Because here's the thing. Jesus is Savior, but he's also Lord. Okay? When we say Jesus is our Savior, we're saying this. We put our trust and faith in Christ, what he did on the cross for us. On, you know, basically, his death on the cross substitutes for us. It should have been us on the cross, but he died on the cross for us, and we put our faith and trust in him, and that saves us from the penalty of our sins. We love that, but many of us don't love Jesus being Lord of our lives, which means he has access to our lives to shape and form the decisions and choices we make on a daily basis. But you can't have one without the other. You can't have Jesus as Savior, but not Lord. And if he's Lord, he's Savior. So here's the thing. My challenge is this, is that we would be people that don't just know God's word. See, here's the thing. Jesus said this. This was actually incredible. Luke, Luke 6. He was talking to some of his followers. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but don't do what I say? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but don't do what I say? Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this about obedience. He said, one act of obedience is better than 100 sermons. Oswald Chambers said this, spiritual maturity is not reached by the passing of the years, but by obedience to the will of God. Some people have been in church for years, but are one act of obedience away from seeing, from seeing breakthrough. James 1 says this, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Everyone say it. Do what it says. First John 2, 3 through 6 says, says this. We know that we have to come to know him if we keep his commands. But whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Some of you are asking God to to reveal his, his hidden plan for your life. So you're asking God, God, let me know who my wife is. Let me know where I'm going to have a job at. God, let me know, 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 let me know. And I believe we can get so obsessed with God revealing his hidden word that we don't even obey what is clearly revealed. Right? God reveal, and God's like, yo, I got some stuff revealed. Like, Find it. But let's just be honest. Obedience is hard. Can I get an amen? Anybody have kids, kids here? 
you, you, you got kids, right? And I'm trying to, you know, we've we got eight, five, and three, so y'all can pray for us. And it's a constant battle of getting them to obey what we, what we clearly see as best in their life. But they have this propensity to, whenever we ask them to do something, they'll even start testing us now, right? Wherever we're like, hey, don't drink that, they'll, they'll get the drink and bring it up to here. And I'm like, you're dead. I'm going to kill you. No, I'm just kidding. But it's, it's just like they're testing it. Why? Because they have this propensity in them to not obey even though they know the correct information. That is us with God, y'all. Obedience is hard. Why? Because ultimately we think we know best. But ultimately some of you, you have this desire to obey, but you just, it's hard to do. I feel you. Like I can't tell you how, how many times like I've strived, I don't want to cuss. Anyone out there? I'm like, Jesus, I've been saved for like 20-some years. Why am I still struggling with this? I need to stop playing golf. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but also, do I'll, I'll be driving, and when someone beeps the horn at me, anyone else here just like your hand just like wants to come up and just like, <laughs> it's the craziest thing. I'm like, what is in me? What is inside of me? What is lurking inside of me that I hear that horn? And I want to throw the one finger salute. Like, if this is your first time here, I'm an imperfect pastor, okay? I'm going to be real. Let me tell you what big old bad Paul says, right? You know, Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. So this guy is like super Christian. Romans 7, 15 only. Uh, we're, we're just going to focus on, fifth, on 15, and then we're going to go into, um, then we're going to go into 18 through 25. Romans 7, 15, it says this, I don't really understand myself. So this is big, bad Paul, okay? For what I want to do, or for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Is that anybody here? Right? Starting in verse number 18 now. He says this, And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is the sin living in me that does it. And some of y'all are like, it's the sin in me. You're right, it is. It says, but if I don't do what I want to do, I'm not really the one doing it. There's a sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I have, I love God's law with all my heart. Any of you there, you genuinely love God, you, you want to do God's will, you want to do right, but you still got, got this thing in, in you that is just, oh, but there's another power within me that is at war. Do you, do you feel that, that way? There's this war to obey. So this power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. And, and, and you almost use that like you, 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 feel like you feel like a slave. It's like you're just like you're just bound. You know what's right, you can't do it, and you feel bound. It says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Thank you, Paul. It's really encouraging, buddy. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. Everyone say, thank God. 
The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is in my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. And then he goes on Romans 8. And keyboard, you can come up, man. It says, so there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Here's the, here's the thing, right? Let me tell you what you see. You see, Paul Stark's all dark here. He says, look, I, something I want to do, I can't do it. It's a sin living in me. And he's describing the power that many of you feel. You have this desire to obey, but you just feel like you're, you're, you are enslaved and you're in shackles and you're just, you can't do it. And you're like, God, why would you require me to do something that I don't even have the power to do? What a miserable person I am. I can't even do what you require. But then he goes into it and he says, there is now no condemnation in Christ. So some of y'all, you need to stop condemning yourself. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction is God lovingly letting you know you're on the wrong path and you need to change. Condemnation is you think that God is saying, you suck, you're terrible, I'll never love, love you. And some of you, that, that's what you think that God tells, tells you whenever you do something you know you shouldn't do. You suck, you're terrible, I'll never love you. When that is not God, y'all, that is not the Father God's love. He will lovingly let you know through the power of his Holy Spirit what is right and what is, and what is wrong. But, that, but the thing, that conviction should lead you, should lead you to realizing I need to obey what I, what I do know. But then it says, because of Christ Jesus, the power of the life-giving spirit. So God has as, as a believer in Christ, filled you with the power of his Holy Spirit and freed you from the power of the sin that leads to death. So here's the thing. Here's, here's the backwards idea of the gospel. I'm finishing up. Listen up. The gospel is you already are. Now do it. So some of y'all are trying to live up to a certain kind of person that you already are. Because of Christ, you already are a son of God, a daughter of God of God because you put your faith and trust in Christ and you're like trying to live up to and trying to attain this certain kind of person. You think if you strive harder, you obey in your own willpower when God's like, no, you already are. Now just live up to who you already are and make decisions in light of who you already are. And that power has broken. Now here's the thing. It's a physical battle, but it's also a spiritual battle. This is what it says in Colossians 1. We're going to close close, close, here it says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of this earth. For you died to this life and your real life is now him with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death, everyone say death, the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Y'all feel them things lurking? It says here, like you, like you, you, you gotta put them things to death. Jesus has already put them to death. So now through your obedience, you put it to death and you retrain yourself. And this is why the church is important, y'all. You can't do this on your own. Some of you have stuff, you can pray all day, but what you need is accountability. To put whatever it is in your life that is robbing you and bringing death to your life to death, it's gonna take people, a church family, coming and saying, you can do it. If you're struggling, you better call me. I'm gonna check in with you. 
Don't do it alone, y'all. Some of y'all are one, one relationship away from seeing the life change you've so desperately wanted. But because you're so shame-filled and guilt-filled, you think, I can't tell anybody that. If I let someone know that, they're gonna think completely different of me. They're gonna think that I'm the worst person. Are you kidding me? Paul called himself the worst of sinners. So y'all, here's the, here's the thing. We gotta let the barriers down. If we're gonna put stuff to death, if we're gonna see true change happen, gotta put it to death. It says this, have nothing to do with sexual immorality, purity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy for a greedy person is in, is in idolater. Because of these things, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was, part, was a part of this world, but now it is time to get rid of anger, rage, malice, behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other. I mean, you can just see the difference here. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are Jew, Gentile, circumcised or circumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgives you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love which binds all together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ that comes from Christ rule in your hearts for as members of one body you are called to live in peace and always be. Like, do you see the difference of a spirit-filled life? And, and here's the thing, my prayer for you is that as you obey God's word, right, not not, not when you just you feel it, right? Because I think sometimes we only want to obey when, whenever we feel it. But here's the thing, feelings must follow obedience instead of obedience following your feelings. Obedience following feelings is called you're a child. Feelings following obedience is called you're what? You're an adult. And what God is calling us to do as a church is to grow up. And start, start to obey what we do know. If you have questions about this book, you, you, you're safe with your questions here. If you're skeptic here, you're welcome here. We want you to be a part of this place. You say, well, I'm not sure. You're welcome here. We want you to question, question here. Why? Because we know this, this is difficult. We know this is not, not easy. So come in, join, join a small group. Talk to me personally. Talk to one of our, our leaders here. We want this book to be made real to you. Because we believe it is truly God's word. It has God's path. It has God's way. And we, and we want to follow. Would you stand up with me, church? Thank you again for joining us on the LifeHouse Newport News podcast. If you're ever in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love for you to join us at one of our live worship experiences at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Kiln Creek Movie Theaters. Until then, feel free to check us out at www.theaterchurchnn.com or on any social media platform. Thank you so much, and God bless.